This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back to Faith FM, continuing on with the show. What book am I? This one hasn't been answered yet. Wow, it has not. Has no idea what it is. There's, that means that there's still double prizes up for grabs for those out here who can get it. Okay. Oh, the next clue is going to give it away. Like, I have this one memorized. Like, this is like one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Okay, what book am I? Quote, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh, wait, you can't even spell. Yeah, I can spell. I got it right. But yeah, Lyle uh, Lyle knows what it is, so therefore, no double prizes. Single prizes, but what book do you find the Great Commission in? Mm. If you know, give us a call. You'll find it at the end of the book. 324-843. So go to all possible books that this possibly might be. Go to the end, find the one that has the Great Commission, and give us a call, 1-800-324-843, with your answer, or text us on 0491-064-669. Encounter with God time. Bible study time, Lawson. 20 million movement time, where we join 20 million other people around the world studying Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 43 today. Yeah. So join us as uh, you can be part of part of the group right around the world. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 43. And while Lawson is heading there and doing a couple of last-minute busy things on his computer, looking up some uh, stories and... Grimacing over there, um, I do need to remind you all about the Faith FM Australia app. Mm. Please jump on your mobile device, download the app. Um, it will transform your life. It will. Amen. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. You. It, will, it will transform your life. You will be able to get Faith FM clear as crystal wherever you drive in your car simply by running it through your phone, your stereo, whatever. There's no ads. There's no delays. There's no delayed broadcast. You get the live show. Um, it is just amazing. So please make sure that you jump on there and get the Faith FM. M Australia app. It is entirely free. It will take you all of 30 seconds and about three clicks and it's up and running. Simple as that. Lawson, Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 43. What have you got for us? Nehemiah chapter 12 verse 43. The Bible says many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day for God had given many people cause for great joy. The women and the children also participated in celebration and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard from far away. Wow. How many times is the word joy mentioned in that verse? There's one verse that's like the most joyful verse in the whole Bible. It's like joy, 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 joy. It's loving life. Actually, oh, that just reminds me. I'm going to tomorrow. I'm heading up to like the Lightning Ridge area to go out and play a Christmas concert out there. And the opening song is Joy to the World. So... These people are also incredibly, incredibly joyous. I wonder whether the people in Lightning Ridge are joyous at the moment. I wonder whether they have any water. Are they trucking mm. water in there yet or not? Or are they still able to uh, provide water for the town? Um, you'll have to report back for us yeah, on Monday, Lawson, about, you, about your, uh, about your trip down. out there. I imagine you're flying out in a small plane. Are you doing No, we're drive? driving. Oh, oh. you're driving. Oh. <laughs> 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 Lawson, <laughs> well, like, when do you leave? So at 8 o'clock on Friday morning. 
Eight o'clock on Friday morning. Yeah. Okay. And there you go. Like just yeah. That's tomorrow morning. Yep. That will make uh, radio interesting for you. Yeah, it will. You're gonna just do the whole thing over the phone with us. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Lawson's gonna call in and uh, <laughs> as he's driving down the road, give us commentary on the drought conditions as he goes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, we might give you a call during the show. You never know. Tell us what you can see by the time it gets through to 9 o'clock. You won't be that far west, but you'll be plenty far enough west, I would imagine, to see the Mm. drought biting hard. Fully. Uh, But we do look for your report when you come back. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43. The Bible talks about a lot of joy. What is that joy in relationship to? What are they actually doing in this verse? Well, it says that the God of heaven had given them great joy. Mm-hmm. And I think this is over the reason, you know, as we were talking about yesterday, they're, they're, they've, they've come full circle in a way. They've realized, you know, they've established themselves after the captivity. They were once, you know, split and divided as a people, and now they've come back together into God's presence. And they're just like worshiping God. You know, um, they're, they're just being joyous. They're offering sacrifices. They're like just stoked because... They've made it, you know, in a way. They've like, it is a time for joy. They're like, yes, like God has done such an incredible, amazing thing, you know, in restoring the nation of Israel. And um, they're just happy about it, you know. Tell us about the sacrifices in that verse. What does the verse say about sacrifices? It says that there were many sacrifices offered on that joyous day. Um, in, in that particular verse, that's, that's what it says in my translation. Okay, so why would sacrifices bring joy? Um, you know, there's been many times, particularly as, you know, somebody who lives in the country and who grew up in the bush where I've had to take the life of an animal. Mm. Um, that's a part of the world in which we live today, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and I think that most of our listeners, either directly or indirectly, are taking lives of animals every single day just by the fact of what we eat. Yeah. But it's never fun. Mm. In fact, people who do that professionally, like working in an abattoir or whatever, have to be very careful of their mental health. Health whenever that, when, when, whenever you know, all that they are doing all the time is just you know, taking the lives of animals. Yeah, um, you've got to be careful of your mental health in that kind of a situation. So, why would sacrifices bring joy? Well, it's in the context of you know what the sacrifice is for. Of course, God says you know I take no no delight in sacrifice. Um, it, it's not. It's not a joyous thing. Taking the lives of animals isn't a joyous thing from a... You Very know, serious thing. You know, inherently, at least anyway, you know, no one's standing there being like, oh, you know, the feeling of taking an animal's life, you know, that doesn't bring these people joy. But it's a representation of the fact that, you know, through that sacrifice, we know, uh, as people sitting in 2019, it's like, yeah, the sacrifice was a representation of Jesus saving them. Um, but for them, they were seeing this as a representation of, yeah, God's deliverance from 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 captivity, from sin, from slavery, from everything. You know, the sacrifice um, of the lamb represents so much to these people. And again, like going on back what I said before, you know, it coming full circle, it's like we've experienced the redemption of the Lord. Um, But then they're using the sacrifice to look forward to the ultimate redemption from the Lord, which is the redemption against sin. But, oh, man, this would be such a cool thing because going through that would be such an evidence that God is going to restore you eventually, like the ultimate restoration. It's like if God can restore me from captivity and if God can restore the nation of Israel from captivity to bring forth the Messiah, like that was like 
when Daniel in in Daniel chapter um in Daniel chapter nine is praying, like that is the whole purpose of his prayer. It's like we have to bring forth the Messiah, so you need to restore the people. That's literally what happens. They can see the evidence of God restoring them to bring forth the Messiah, to give them an eventual end to sin, and they're rejoicing over that and they're sacrificing for that reason. They're they're I guess for partaking for for illustrating the sacrifice that would come through Christ, and they're rejoicing about it because it's going to deliver them totally from sin and evil and, you know, the things that we rejoice about today as Christians, you know, looking forward to the second coming and looking forward to, man, Jesus is coming soon and there will be no more sin and, and everything that's evil will be destroyed. Like, yeah, amen. That's what they're looking forward to as well. And they're being joyous about it. It's incredible. What depth of understanding do you think they actually had of the sacrifice as a symbol of redemption, death of God? Mm. Well, we know like how much of an object lesson the sanctuary was to them. And of course, it was a Saf who we talked about a couple of days ago who illustrates that so clearly in the Bible. Um, in, in his psalm, he, he talks about... You know, psalm 73 in particular. 73, he's like, oh yeah, you know, the, the wicked are terrible and evil and I, you know, I can't bear you know, their presence and whatnot. And then he goes on and he's like, oh, but Lord, I went into your sanctuary and I understood. Um, I understood what was what was going on. I think at least, you know, we know that around this time they didn't necessarily have, you know, the books of the history and the books of the Psalms, you know, at hand. They just kind of had the books of the laws, but at least colloquially among, you know, the priests, I would imagine they would have some understanding that the sanctuary is, you know, a tool that God has created to point forward to to Jesus's sacrifice, Jesus's, um, you know, well, the, 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 the death of the Messiah. I think even though they couldn't fully realize it, they, they just knew and innately in, in a small capacity that, okay, you know, the sanctuary, the sacrifice is a representation of God's restoration that will come through him giving his life. So. Yeah, I think it'd be uh, almost impossible to really grasp exactly what Jesus was going to do. Mm. But when you go back to the Garden of Eden where the first sacrifice takes place and the promise is given, I think that you know, while the Bible doesn't describe an explanation, I'm pretty sure an explanation was actually given. You know, So they knew exactly what was happening. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. You know, I think you'd be able to read between the lines when God comes along and kills an animal and then says, I'm going to provide a way where you can be forgiven, you know, I think there's a very, very clear implication right there in the Garden of Eden that God was going to die in their place. Um, the Bible does not record everything that God does and says. There is a lot that the Bible assumes. Mm. And in that passage, the Bible assumes that God explained to them what the sacrificial <clears throat> system was all about. Clearly they lost track of that down through history and there mm. became times when they just sacrificed lots and lots and lots and lots of animals thinking that um, bulk would make up for uh, their lack of um, quality. So there mm. was just lots of sacrifices but their heart was not in it. And, you know, sacrificing animals, killing animals can become very, very easy once you get used to it. Um Pretty more traumatic the first few times around, but then it just sort of you just it just becomes yeah, it just becomes what you do. Particularly you know if you're living in the in, in the bush on a farm or something or other, and so they sort of began to look at it like, well, God likes sacrifices, so the more the better. And God's like, no, actually, what I want is your heart. Mm. Um, that's the biggest priority for me. That's the thing that um, 
you know, I, I want and need more than anything else. And so, um, yeah, that was um, um, how it developed. And I think they really lost track of it. But there were times when they really came back to it and they really recognized that, yes, this was the death of the Messiah. When you go to passages like Isaiah chapter 53, for instance, mm. you can clearly see that, you know, Isaiah knew exactly what the sacrifices were all about, what they symbolized. Psalm 73, you mentioned a saff. Um, has a very, very clear picture of what these sacrifices are symbolizing and typifying. Of course, the Passover mm. um, symbolizing, you know, uh, relief, release from captivity, mm. uh, which is repeated again when they are released from Babylonian captivity, so from Egyptian captivity to Babylonian captivity. I really like the point that you brought out was that, you know, they had firsthand evidence there of the power of God. Mm. Prima facie evidence that, Yes, God was real. God was sitting on his throne. God had restored them. Um, God was not dead. That Their God was the most powerful God because when has this ever happened? You've had a nation now that has come out of captivity twice yeah. and been restored to its own land. Mm. This is just unparalleled. It just doesn't exist. I think as well, like, you know, we're talking about, okay, whether they knew that Jesus was specifically the sacrifice. Like, we, we can't. You know, there's nothing that and you know that says in the Bible whether they fully understood that. But I, like, I believe at least by implication they would have knew, known that the sacrificial service had something to do with their redemption and their restoration. Absolutely, and that's why they're sacrificing. It's like God has done such a work to restore us, and this uh, service is a type or a symbol of His ultimate restoration. You know, they would have looked at the Day of Atonement and been like, "Oh, this is a type or an, and a symbol of the ultimate judgment that will come," and that God's people will be delivered, and they've just seen, like, a, in in a way, like a as as they see, you know, when you read the story of the Exodus, there's like kind of a judgment that goes on between two groups of people, and God's people are found favored, and they're let out of captivity. Whereas, you know, those the people who weren't, which is specifically Pharaoh and the people who he was lording over, like they were destroyed. Um, you know, they're kind of seeing a somewhat similar thing here that, you know, oh, we've been brought out of captivity, we've been delivered, and our enemies have been vanquished, the ones that have tried to destroy us. Um, they could see that through the sanctuary service. They could see that through the sacrifice, whether it was, you know, they knew it was about Jesus or not. And so it was, it's for them, they're like, okay, well, we're going to sacrifice to the Lord because there's, there's just so many different symbols that go into it. We're going to sacrifice to the Lord because we can see God checking the boxes of what he said he would do. And, you know, that gives us faith of, yeah, as I said before, that gives us faith of what he will do into the future in the ultimate sense. So, yep. yeah, they're just stoked. They're yeah. just joyous. This is, this is so happy. Like, oh, just the best when you go to church and everyone's just really happy. I think there's definitely a time for mourning and a time for sadness and a time where we should come together in great tra tragedy, like 100%. And they, they're, you know, the most powerful times that we can experience when we come together in sadness and in tragedy to, to you know, we come to God to be lifted up. But then there are times where we're just happy. We're just happy and we're just joyous. And it's like you know, we're experiencing the joy of the Lord, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Like if someone's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. It's like, yeah, praise God, you're a Christian. And then they're just like not experiencing joy in any part of life. I'm like, man, you need to seek God. You need to <laughs> seek God and the kingdom of heaven because joy is a, you know, joy is a gift from God. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that you should be experiencing. You should be experiencing happiness in, For sure. in a way. For sure. Um, what about when we come down to New Testament times? Obviously, after the death of Jesus, you know, Jesus has by that stage explained to them in great detail 
what his death was all about, um, begins on the road to Emmaus and continues from there. But what about, you know, the disciples in the lead up to the crucifixion? Were they given an opportunity to understand what it was that Jesus had come for? Um, or did they just, you know, totally think, you know, this is, uh, this is, this is Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to become a great general and a king and a leader. And he's going to get rid of the Romans and form the new Jewish empire. Mm. Well, in terms of given the opportunity, I'm reading through the book of Matthew at the moment. And it's like, Jesus is like, oh, yep, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be dead in the tomb for three days. Like, I'm going to be killed at the hands of the Jews and the Romans. Like, this is what's going to happen. And then Peter, like, pulls him aside and rebukes him. And it's like... Um, you're wrong, Jesus. Like, that is totally not what's going to happen because we're all going to defend you and you're the Messiah and why would you die? And that's actually such a such an interesting passage of the Bible because in the previous little bit of text, Peter's like, Jesus, you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, marvels and says, wow, Peter, you know, on this rock, I'll build my church, this idea that I'm the son of God and, you know, we'll, you know, We'll Turn the be, world upside down based on this. Yeah, this is the most incredible, amazing thing. I can't, you know, flesh and blood has not taught you this, but my Father in heaven. Like, what an affirmation. Like, wow, Jesus is affirming the fact that I'm a spiritual person and I'm close to God. And so then Jesus says, I'm going to die. And then Peter's like, no, you're not going to die. And then Jesus says to Peter, you are speaking from, you know, get behind me, Satan. You are speaking from another spirit. Like, in, in the space of... A couple of minutes, like it is the absolute wildest. Because if you really believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and Jesus, as the Son of God, says, "I'm going to die," then you're really going to believe what Jesus says, and exactly. he doesn't really believe it. He's like, "No, that's not going to happen." Oh man, it's just, and you see here, like it's it's it's, it's a perfect picture of humanity right there, mm. and how messed we up, messed, messed up, up we are, messed up we are. I think it's a real it's a real picture of, I guess, um, Peter's insecurities. Peter's want for control over the situation. He's been firm that he's doing a good thing. So it's like, therefore, like, I'm validated in everything that I'm thinking and feeling. And then Jesus is like, oh, well, actually, he shares something that is completely against him. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, ah, and it, as he said, it's our humanity. It's totally who we are. It's, it's totally who we can be. Um, and it's fully just because of pride. Because, you know, we like being right. And Peter, very, you know, Peter and all of them, they're just like constantly talking about who's going to be the best disciples. Like they just want to, they're just super prideful and they just want to be the best disciples all the time. They just want to win. And so, yeah. John chapter 1, verse 29 is what we're going to read next. John chapter 1 and verse 29, we're going to look at, you know, how early on in the ministry of Jesus was he identified as somebody who was going to die. Mm. John chapter 1 and verse 29, what do you got for us there, Lawson? Oh, I love this verse. I can quote this from, from memory, but the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so this is the very first proclamation that is ever made about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Mm. It comes from John the Baptist. John the Baptist singles him out, points him out, and says, This guy is the Lamb of God. Mm. This is the guy who will take away the sin of the world. And so as a result of that, you've got a number of disciples from that point who follow him. The question is, because we don't ever blink when we read that verse, we're just like, yeah, of course, Jesus is the Lamb of God. You know, Jesus is going to die. We get that. We understand that. That's just what we've always understood. Mm. But what sense did this make to the people who were 
there at that particular time. Did they have an understanding? Clearly, they did not. They were looking. You know, they would have. They yeah, would have responded wow. if 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 John the Baptist said, "Okay, this is the King of Israel." That's correct. Mm. Who will rule the universe? Mm-hmm. That is also correct. They would have gone, "Aha, uh-huh, the Messiah." But he doesn't say that. He says, "This is the Lamb of God." Wow, that's that's a powerful point. How foreign of a concept that yeah, would be to but, them. Yeah, exactly. That's not a statement in their mind that is stating this person is the Messiah. Mm. But there are one or two people who, on based on that statement, they're obviously followers of John. They and, and they are trusting John, and so they decide to follow Jesus because of that statement. <sighs> Hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Seat of Israel's race, he ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Tribe on this terrestrial ball to him, all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him, all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of Welcome back to Faith FM, continuing on with our Encounter with God section. But before we get into it, um, what book am I? So we haven't, no one's, uh, no one's picked this one up yet, but no double prizes up for grabs because, you know, lol. Got it before you guys did, but that is all good. Okay, let's just, let's do a little bit of a review here. What book am I? Quote, uh, this is the first clue. Quote, you must say to them to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. The next uh, clue was the word hell is found most often in this book of the Bible. The phrase kingdom of heaven is found 32 times in this book of the Bible, yet isn't found anywhere else. 
Quote, therefore, go make go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now, my genealogy of Jesus begins with Abraham and not Adam. I am the first book in the New Testament. If you know what the first book of the New Testament is, give us a call, 1-800-324-843, or text us, 0491-064-669, and you can win a prize completely for free. All right, love. Yes. What's up? Ah, uh, we have been studying um, John chapter one. Mm-hmm. Do you want to read for us verse thirty-six, please? Yeah, sure. Verse thirty-six. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, "Look, there is the Lamb of God." So once again, Jesus has twice in this chapter now been referred to as the Lamb of God. This is Jesus' introduction to the world as the Messiah, and his introduction to the world is that he is the Lamb of God. That's a very, very clear indication that he's going to die. So basically the very first thing that is spoken about Jesus and about Jesus' Messiahship by somebody who is professing Jesus' Messiahship is that he's going to die. Mm. And yet his disciples was so far in their minds removed from that concept of a suffering, dying Messiah that even though this is the introduction they are giving, you know, it's almost like, meet my friend, meet my cousin Jesus. This is my cousin Jesus. Mm. He's going to die. <laughs> that's basically yeah, wow. what that's basically what John has said. Mm. And the disciples, they follow Jesus, and they're like, yes, we're going to become follower of Jesus, and he is not going to die. Mm. And Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be dead for three days. I'm going to resurrect again. Jesus says all of these things. And, you know, Peter's there like, no, 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 no. Be this far from you. And Jesus is like, okay, you're speaking of Satan right now. Mm. Get behind me. Jesus turns around and calls Peter Satan. Yeah. You know, so much for Peter <laughs> being the first pope. Ouch. When Jesus calls him Satan. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, <laughs> that's a pretty strong statement by Jesus Christ there. Uh, but clearly what you've got here is a minority of people who actually understand the sacrificial system before Jesus dies, John the Baptist being one of them, Isaiah being another, Asaph being another, Adam and Eve being another, and a majority of people who by the time of uh, the disciples, you know, you're now 400 years down the track from the last uh, book of the New Testament that has been written, it's a fair chunk of time, um, who now have lost this concept of a suffering, dying Messiah and are looking for a ruling Messiah, mm. a Messiah who will rule here on this earth. Okay, so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, please, Lawson. So now we're going to go after Jesus' death and we are going to notice how things have changed once Jesus has actually died. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. All right, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has sacrificed for us. Yeah. It's 5, verse 7. That's the one. Okay. Yep. Oh, for, for a minute there, I was thinking, is that the right verse? And then you got to the end, like, yeah, yeah, okay, that is the right verse. <laughs> what does the Bible describe Jesus as here? Our Passover lamb. Okay, so that's a very clear recognition of what the um, the death of Jesus symbolizes. Mm. 
So now you've moved to a point where it is universally recognized that yes, this is, uh, these sacrifices were a symbol, a type of Jesus Christ. Um, and we've got Matt Parra outside the office here trying to distract us right now, pulling funny faces at us. Um, great to have office workers who love yeah. to troll you during your, during your, um, Broadcast. Got to, got to get the air horn back in here, Lyle. Yeah, I think we should get him back in for an interview and give him a hard time. Mm. Um, okay, so we've got this um, this this situation, I guess, that is happening here. This change of situation, and what is interesting about Christianity, one of the things that makes it unique, is that the defining point of Christianity, the foundation of Christianity, is not the life of its founder. Mm. It's the death of its founder. So you've got here a religion that begins with uh, an individual whose ministry lasts for a mere three and a half years. Mm. Every other founder of a world religion like Buddha or or Confucius or wherever it might be, um, they spent their lifetime building, promoting, refining, you know, uh, Muhammad, their religion. Mm. And by the end of their life, they're starting to get a bit of a following. Mm. With Christianity, uh, Jesus spends a mere three and a half years, and by the end of his life, he has a following that doesn't number more than 120 people. And yet you have a religion that takes the world by storm. And just looking at it from from the standpoint of cause and effect, you have to have a massive, massive cause to produce the effect that we have, the effect being Christianity Mm. and the widespread belief in Christianity. And you have to have something incredibly dramatic taking place in a very short space of time to give that kind of an effect in the world. Um, And, of course, you know, that, uh, that cause is going to be the death and, more specifically, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because without that resurrection, Christianity would have died. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a religion that's been around for three and a half years. That is not a long time. They do not have a lot of followers. It would have died with the death of the person who was promoting it. We have seen that happen over and over and over and over again. And they saw that at the time as well happen over and over and yeah. over and over again. How many religious movements have we seen just in our lifetime that have died in a similar way? We were talking about David Koresh and Jim Jones. You know, mm. the leader dies, the religion is gone. Yeah. You know. And these are guys who promoted their religion for a lot, lot longer than three and a half years. And I think as well, they promoted their religion so extremely, so violently, and so they were so tactful about it. Whereas, you know, um, oh man, there's some. I think it's Napoleon who wrote about Jesus and said, you know, to see to see a man conquer the world, uh, you know, with with peace as as Jesus did, you know, he's more than a man. Like to see the way the way that he has in made people come to him, the way that he uh, has drawn people to him through his teachings of peace and through the life that he lived. Like it's it's just simply that. It's just because he was he was perfect. He was the son of God living the perfect life that no one else could. And that will that's what was so attractive um, because even people who do good things don't find good followings in the world that we live in today. Um, and that's just because they're, they're not Jesus. They're not who he was, you know, which was he was the best. He was simply the best. One of the greatest images that I have in the Bible is, um, that I find in the Bible is Revelation 5 and verse 6, where the Bible 
you know, John is weeping because no one is found worthy to open the book. Mm. It's a book of incredibly vital, important information. No one can open it, and John is weeping because of that. And the angel says, don't worry. Look, see over there. It's the line of the tribe of Judah. He can open it. Mm. And he turns to look, and he sees a lamb as it had been slain. The angel says, look at the line. He sees a slain lamb. Mm. Massive contrast. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah because he is the lamb that was slain. This is Keith Lancaster with Go Tell John. You're listening to Faith Evan. is the man who doesn't fall away because of me. As he sat there in that prison cell, he knew just how it came about. And he knew his life was over and he was never coming out But there was just one thing he had to know He had to make a final plea So he sent his friends to ask the Lord If he was who he claimed to be Go tell John That the lame have learned to walk That the poor can hear the word of God And the deaf can hear me talk the blind can finally see Oh, and blessed is the man who doesn't fall away Because of me He was born so he could tell the world That the kingdom was at hand And that the Christ would soon come after him To complete the Father's plan And there was nothing else he wanted more Than to see this kingdom grow It was the only thing that mattered It was all he had to know So go tell John Go tell John That the lame have learned to walk That the Lord can hear the word of God And the deaf can hear me talk He gave his life to testify that Jesus was the Son. Jesus was the he only son. wanted now to know that it was a good thing he had done. Soon he would be murdered by a wicked, evil man. And I'm sure the words of Jesus helped him understand. Go tell John. Can hear me that the Lord can hear the word of God and the 
deaf can hear me talk. Me talk. Go tell John. Go tell John. Go tell John. I can finally see. Oh, and blessed is the man who doesn't fall away because of me. Go tell John. Go tell John. The dead are raised again. Happy Hearts is a free community craft program for kids aged 1 to 5 designed to encourage growth and creativity through Bible stories. Join us each Tuesday during the school term from 9.30 till 11am at the Senior Citizens Hall, 401 Warburton Highway, Wandon North. For more information or to register, go to happyhandsart.com.au forward slash happyhearts or contact Patricia on 0425 854 516. That's 0425 854 516. Happy Hearts. Free fun for kids and the mess stays with us.
Is forgiveness, or the lack of forgiveness, eating away at you? A relationship breakdown, maybe. Long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. You know, it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Jesus 
Welcome back, guys. That was Marion Blythe Peppers. I heard the voice of Jesus. Nobody's got the clue for the quiz yet, Lawson. What no. you, give us another we're, one. We're and what like, book am I? Come okay. on, guys. You know where the Great Commission is found. And I, I, my last clue was it's the first book in the New Testament. Okay. So, uh, like, I, I just, what other clue could I possibly give? It's the name of multiple people that I know. Ben. Ah, uh, yes. If you know multiple people that I know, then you will get them. It's a very common name in uh, in English today. Yes, it is. And, and in many other languages as well. Mm-hmm. <coughs> it is. All right. Give us a call. 1-800-324-843 is the number to call if you know the answer. Or text us on 0491-064-669. What is the first book of the New Testament? Mm. question that came in from a listener wants to know about Matthew chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. So let me read this one to you. The Bible says, but uh, verse 32 in particular, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so based on that verse alone, there are many people who assume that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are clearly alive because the Bible says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and that he's not the God of the dead but of the living. So therefore, they have never died. They are still alive. They are in heaven with God is the assumption that is made. Okay, and here's one of the dangers that you find whenever you take one verse all by itself. It's always important to read context. And if you take this verse by itself, you would have to, you would be forced to the conclusion that yes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. Therefore, human beings have natural immortality that you don't really die, but uh, you simply go to heaven when you die. Um, and that's just how it is. However, the question is, what is the topic here? Is Jesus talking about the state of the dead? Or is Jesus talking about the resurrection? Now, the resurrection and the immortality of the soul are two concepts that are mutually exclusive to each other. You cannot have natural immortality and then have a resurrection because a resurrection implies death. It doesn't just imply death, it requires death. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, does the Bible teach natural immortality of the soul or does the Bible teach the resurrection? And the fact is that there are over 1,700 verses in the Bible where the Bible speaks about either the soul or the spirit, not a single solitary passage where either any of those verses state that the soul or the spirit is immortal. In fact, the Bible talks constantly about the resurrection at the last day. Mm. Um, And so... We have to ask ourselves in this passage, what is the topic? Well, the topic is defined in the previous verse where it says this, but as touching the resurrection. Mm. So Jesus is very clear here. He doesn't want his readers to or his listeners to be confused. He says, I'm talking about the resurrection. I'm not talking about the state of the dead. Um, I'm talking about the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God? I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. And Jacob, um, not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Mm. Okay, so how does that actually work then? Because that seems a little strange to us. If you go over to John chapter 6, we find that it is amply explained in verse 53 and 54. How can you have both a resurrection and a verse that implies that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive right now? In verse 53, Jesus said to them, Truly I say unto you, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Present tense, I'm adding in there. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's a contradiction. Either you have eternal life or you're going to be resurrected. It is one or the other. But I want you to notice here that because they have the promise of the resurrection, Jesus counts that resurrection as present reality because it is the promise of God and the promise of God is so sure. It is always counted as present reality. And he says, hey, you've got eternal life because you're going to be raised. And it's exactly the same thing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're alive because they're going to be resurrected. Mm. And so Jesus very, very clearly points out the fact that uh, the topic here is the resurrection. It is not the subject of the immortality of the soul. Uh, anyway, that's the question for the day, and this is The Teachers with Run. When I'm filled with doubt And I lost my way When I just can't sing Keep trouble at bay When the world seems full Of chaos and dismay I run to you You're my saviour Oh my grace Cause I run to you In all my desperation I run to you When there seems no other way No 
Welcome back. That was uh, The Teachers with Run. You're listening to Faith FM. We interviewed those guys a uh, week or so ago. Mm. Um, yeah. What are we giving away today? It's the end of the show. We give, get to give something away. What have you got for us there, Lawson? I have a book. Indeed. In we normally book. give books away. Yeah. Books or albums. That's books our thing. Books or albums. That's, that's where we're at. Oh, we just a quick reminder that uh, Alex won the quiz as well. Oh, yeah. Shout out, Alex. You must Alex have... from South Australia somewhere. Congratulations. You must have heard the disappointed tone in my voice of, uh, you know, that it hadn't been answered yet. And so he was, he was compelled to answer and he did. But I'm giving away a book called Images Everything by Dustin Hall. This is a fantastic book uh, specifically for young people um, about, yeah, image and direction and purpose in life and specifically our purpose as Christians, our purpose as it is in God. Um, yes, yeah, so a fantastic book. If you want this book, give us a call, 1-800-324-843. You'll get this book. You don't even have to answer a quiz. You just have to call us. Just call. Be the first caller through. Or, or course, the first one to text us on 0491-064-669. Yeah. Or even messages on Facebook, but the quickest way is to just call 1-800-FAITH-FM and... Images, everything is coming your way. Bam, there you go. Easy. Yeah. Living in the image of Jesus Christ, having him recreated in your heart. Well, of course, as we come to the end of our show, we want to remind you that we encourage people to study their Bibles wherever they are. There is always time in the day to study the Bible. And if you are struggling with understanding the Bible, there are ways that we can help you. We are here to do that. And so we would encourage you to give us a call, 1-800-324-843. We can put you in contact with the Discovery Centre, which can facilitate Bible studies right across Australia, including my Bible study series, The Prophetic Code. And don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ today. You're listening to Faith FM.